0: Our Bible reading for today's sermon comes from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 15 through 20. And as Chad already mentioned, this is the latest sermon in our Formed by Jesus series, which means that all the sermons in this series are teachings or actions of Jesus that are forming us. When we open ourselves up to these texts, the Holy Spirit is working us into the shape that Jesus would have us take. And today... Uh, this forming word is in the area of conflict. Listen to what Jesus says. If your brother or sister sins against you, or sins, sorry, that's the old translation. I I, I sometimes slip into that. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses if they still refuse to listen tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen even to the church treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector truly i tell you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three gather in my name. There I am with them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, maybe you're not looking forward to a sermon on conflict. Um, but I will say this, uh, whenever I do premarital counseling, uh, I always do, and I think all pastors do this, I always do a section on conflict. There's always a point in which I turn to the couple getting married and I say to them, okay, let's talk about how the two of you fight. And believe it or not, that is always one of the most enjoyable and fruitful of all the sessions because... Couples know that they, they disagree. Couples know that they fight. And they know that if they want their relationship to work long term, they've got to figure out how to do that and do that well. So what I say to every couple is that if you want to do conflict within the confines of a marriage, you've got to build a conflict machine. You've got to build a conflict machine. And here's what I mean by that. Every single person, everyone here, married or single, whoever you are, you come with a, a conflict style that is more or less built into you. There is a way that you respond when you are in conflict. And so some people are, are loud and emotional, right? Some people are very logical and rational and stubborn and infuriating. <laughs> and other people are conflict avoidant, right? Some people say, "Oh, oh, no, nothing wrong. Oh, no, I'm fine, everything's fine. Right? Even though inside, they're they're not fine at all, okay? In a marriage or in any relationship where you want a productive conflict, what the two parties involved have to do is they build a conflict machine, which means that they take one partner's conflict style and the other partner's conflict style, and they make adjustments so that they fit together well. And if you learn to make those two styles fit together well, you can put a pretty big conflict into your conflict machine, and you'll get a resolution. If you have a bad conflict machine, if you don't fit those together well, you can put a tiny little dispute into your relationship and have a knock-down, drag-out fight. I think you all understand how that goes. Conflict is a part of every marriage. Conflict is also a part of every church. And you could say that in our passage today, Jesus is helping us to build our church conflict machine. Jesus is helping us to reflect on our conflict process, to build a conflict machine among us so that when disputes come, we will handle them. And if our conflict machine works well the way Jesus wants it to work, we will be able to put big conflicts into our machine and we will be okay. If our conflict machine is broken, even small conflicts among us will make the whole system go kablooey. It's interesting, just like as in individual relationships and individual conflict styles, churches have different conflict styles. There's some churches that are highly conflicted, right? They lean into conflict. They're not afraid of it and they sometimes it seems like they relish it. Whereas there's other churches that are extremely conflict avoidant Oh, everything's fine, there's no problems here, okay? And if you look at the history of the Christian Reformed Church, We, in our history, have actually changed from one side to the other. About 80 years ago, we were a a church that liked to do conflict. We were not afraid of conflict. There was lots of conflict in the church. So, for example, if a young couple slipped up and um, got pregnant before they were married, uh, some of you are older, remember, they used to make sometimes these couples come up in front of church and confess their sins. That was very confrontational, right? Right? And in the, in the, in the council room, there was, there was admonishment, there was censure. Back in the day, there were excommunications where people were kicked out of church. I've been in ministry 30 years. Um, I have never seen a couple called up in front of church to confess their sins. And I think that's a good thing. Okay, I'm going to say, I think that's a good thing. But I've also never been part of a official censure or someone being barred from the Lord's supper or an excommunication. And in fact, for the first five years I was here at LaGrave, I have a hard time remembering even a vote in council that didn't have one dissenting vote, okay? So we kind of shifted to being more conflict-averse. That's shifting back now, uh, just between you and me, okay? That's shifting back a little bit. But, it's, but the, my point is that churches have different conflict styles too. Too much conflict is bad in a church. Too little conflict is bad in a church. There are two extremes. And that's why when you read Scripture, you find Scripture warning us about both things. Sometimes you'll have passages in Scripture like ours that seem to be pushing us towards conflict, right? If your brother or sister sins, go to them and tell them their sin. That's pushing you towards conflict, right? In Matthew 5, you have a similar kind of passage where Jesus seems to be doing the same thing. He says... If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, right? If there's a conflict between you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. So deal with it, right? That's pushing you towards conflict. But now same gospel, same Jesus. There's some other texts that go the other way. Matthew 5 verse 39. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. That's a text that's trying to dial down conflict, right, de-escalate. And then maybe even more to the point, uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says, Judge not, lest you be judged, make sure you take the beam out of your own eye, before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, right? That's clearly making you hesitate for conflict. Now, some people have said well these these two passages are in contradiction no they're not in contradiction they're just trying to help keep us from the moral extremes for conflict avoidant churches they're trying to push them towards conflict for conflict sort of churches that do too much conflict they're trying to push them towards peace trying to keep us in the middle conflict is complicated and handling it in any part of our life including the church is terrifically important a church that does not have a good conflict machine is in deep trouble. A church that does not handle conflict well is like a body without a liver. And nobody thinks about the liver. The liver is the ugly stepbrother of the human organs. Nobody writes poetry about it like they do about the heart. But boy, is your liver important! It filters toxins out of the blood. Without your liver, or if your liver is not working, toxins build up and you die. That's what a conflict machine, that's what church discipline does in the body of Christ. It confronts the sins and the fights and filters them out. And you need them. So having said all that, what kind of conflict machine is Jesus building in Matthew 18? What are some of the things that Jesus wants to see in the way we do conflict in the church and in the rest of the world? Three things here. First, any conflict that you have, and especially conflict in the church, must be built on a deep loving relationship. Love is at the center and the beginning and the foundation of all good conflict. Remember last week in my sermon on love, we heard Jesus say that all the law and the prophets hang on the love command, right? Without love, all the law and the prophets come crashing to the ground. Same thing with conflict. If you follow these three steps that Jesus lays out here and you do them to a T, but you do them without love, you will make things worse instead of better. Again, you can tell that Jesus intends love to be at the bottom, not just because he gave us that love command, but because in the context of the passage, he introduces it with the word brother. When your brother or your sister sins against you, right? It's not just any old random person. The conflict is between someone with whom you have a family relationship, someone you love with a brother. Love is at the beginning. Without that kind of love, conflict will never work well. And again, marriage is a good example of this. A marriage where you make vows to one another, the deepest love, commitment that two people can make, that's the best foundation for good conflict. Why? Because you know that if you raise an issue with your spouse, you can survive it because you have that commitment to each other. You're gonna be together when the whole thing's done. But if you're, say, just living together, you might be quite reluctant to raise an issue between you. Why? Because you're not sure if the other person will walk out. You don't have that foundation of commitment. The deeper the love, the better the environment, for the conflict, which is why, and I know this runs against the winds of culture, this is why the church continues to frown on people living together before marriage. Doesn't? It's not the best environment. In a congregation, you can see how the level of commitment between each other uh, plays out in their conflict. So I've seen three levels. I've seen churches where there's really great relationships and people get into conflict and they work it out and it comes out great. Yay for those times. I've seen even more times where people's relationships aren't that great and they're afraid to confront each other because they're worried that the other person will leave the community and get mad at them. That's not great, but at least in that situation you care enough about the other person that you don't want them to leave. The third level, which I've also seen, is you're perfectly willing to confront someone because you don't care if they leave. If they leave the community, that might even be better for you. When churches get down to that third level, when that's happening in a community, that's very bad. Strong love is the foundation of a good conflict machine in a church. Second component of a good conflict machine in a church and in anywhere in the world is that uh, good conflict is face-to-face conflict. When your brother or your sister sins, go to them, says Jesus. Go to them face-to-face. Jesus did not live in the internet age, but if he did, I'm fairly certain that he would not say, if your brother sins against you, send him a text to tell him his sin. Or if your brother or sister sins against you, shoot him a quick email laying out their transgression. Face to face. Face to face is what Jesus suggests. And is face to face harder when you're confronting? Oh yeah, way harder. But that's the point. It's hard because you're doing the hard work of loving someone face to face. It's only face to face that really deep love can happen. Virtual conflict, email, text, is cheap conflict. You've heard of cheap grace? Virtual conflict is cheap conflict, right? It's easy, but it's not doing the hard work that gets the job done. When you have something against someone, go to them and look them in the face and confront them. Do it with love, like we talked about in the first point. Do it with gentleness. Because as Paul says in Galatians, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. It's an interesting thing, just as an aside here. I think we can all agree that our culture has become much more conflicted in the last 10 years, right? There's more fighting, there's more division. That's happened roughly at the same time that smartphones and texts and emails through smartphones took over. I wonder if it's because that we do most of our conflict and our talking to each other virtually and not face to face. I wonder if that has degraded our conflict. As not just a church but as a society godly comfort is founded on love and if possible it happens face-to-face which brings me to my third component of a good conflict machine as laid out by Jesus and this is an important one healthy in a healthy conflict machine the people in the conflict have a sense of who they are in Jesus Christ in the church if you want to do conflict well, as you go into the conflict, you have to have a deep sense of who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, where do I get that from? That comes from the parable that immediately follows Jesus' teaching here. There's no accident that the parable that follows the passage I read is the parable of the unmerciful servant, because that is a parable about conflict that goes terribly wrong. You remember the parable, right? Uh, A servant has an unpayable debt, hundreds of millions of dollars. His family's going to go into slavery. He's summoned into the presence of the king to whom he owes the money. And he falls on his knees and he says, have mercy on me. And the king says, have mercy on you. Your debt is forgiven. Amazing grace. The guy walks out of there and he walks into the streets of the city. And 20 minutes later, he meets someone who owes him a couple thousand bucks And what does he do? He confronts him, and he confronts him by, Jesus says, grabbing him by the neck and saying, pay me what you owe. And when the guy begs for mercy, he doesn't give it and throws him in jail. King hears about it, throws the unmerciful servant in jail for the rest of his life. What does the unmerciful servant get wrong in his confrontation? Why does it go wrong? It goes wrong because he forgets who he is in Jesus Christ. He forgets who he is as a forgiven sinner. When he confronts, he thinks of himself as the aggrieved party, the protector of what's right and good and just, and this person is a sinner and one of those people out there. He makes an absolute distinction between the kind of person he is and the kind of person his neighbor is. How should that servant see himself in that moment of confrontation? He should see that he is the same as that person he's confronting. That he too is a debtor, a broken sinner saved by grace, who has been forgiven this unbelievable weight that's been taken off his shoulders. That doesn't mean if he saw himself that way that he wouldn't confront, he should still confront, but it means that he would do it completely differently. It would be full of gentleness, it would be full of love, and it would have just the right level of mercy. If we go into our conflicts thinking that we are the defenders of rightness and goodness and decency, and the person that we're confronting is one of those people out there who's making our church and our world miserable, we will do conflict wrong. The machine will run way too hot. And besides, none of us are the defenders of rightness and goodness. We're all broken sinners. We're all people who've been forgiven an unpayable debt. We were all people who were being crushed by the debt of our sin. And Jesus came and he didn't just lift that debt. He got under that debt and was crushed by it for our salvation. Which is how Jesus does confrontation. You wanna know how to do confrontation? Look how Jesus does confrontation. It's a lot like what he teaches here. He practiced what he preached. When he came to this earth to confront us and call us to repent, why did he come? It was love. Love was the foundation for God so loved the world. That's why he came. And how did he confront? Well, he did it face to face. He got close enough to be vulnerable. And then even when we spit in his face and rejected his attempts to change us, he died for us and gave us mercy. That's how Jesus does confrontation. And so... As we confront one another, as we work out our salvation together, as we do discipline, as we must do, may everything we do in that area live under the shadow of that amazing grace. Amen. Lord, you know how much conflict is a part of our life and not just in this church, but all over the place, Lord. We are always dealing with it. And you know sometimes, Lord, how we get it wrong and how our conflicts make things worse. Or we pray that you will give us wisdom as we deal with one another. We pray that you will give us mercy and patience and gentleness, the things that you prescribe. And we pray most of all, Lord, that we will always have this deep sense of ourselves as people who have been forgiven by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.